0: Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. I think um, you know the attention always on the on the race day is is often you know with max and and Sergio and uh, and Christian as well who you know I think it's great for the fans to engage and hear the the ebbs and flows of a race weekend with with Christian but we also hear a little bit from you more regularly now, even directly to the FIA which is a new feature which i'm I'm really enjoying in the coverage but um Jonathan, maybe for those that don't follow so closely it'd be great to hear what do you do for the team and uh what's your role and and, and tell us a little bit about
1: yourself my name is jonathan wheatley i'm the sporting director here at red bull racing honda started off in formula one in the very early 90s uh, as a mechanic and i've kind of worked my way up through pretty much operationally in charge of the race team operation uh wherever we go um i have departments to look after travel um, teams that work with me to support building the cars, as you probably imagine, and I'm the main FIA link during the course of the race weekend for all sporting matters. So I have plenty to keep me occupied most of the time. The uh, while I've
0: mentioned it, that new piece of audio that we got a glimpse of with uh, is Michael, isn't it? Is it Mike? Michael? Michael FIA? Yeah. yeah, he's the race director, is he? That we, we I guess, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, but I didn't realise that you had quite an, such an active communication directly with the FIA actually right there in the
1: race itself. We It may not be well known that uh, we work very closely with the FIA on the developing the sporting regulations and technical regulations, my uh, counterpart in the team who does that, and um, that collaborative process helps avoid confusion. I mean, the sporting regulations are a pretty weighty document, and to be absolutely completely across every aspect of that is a very tricky thing to do and sometimes we have to help each other out and I'd say sometimes the FIA need a little bit of support and sometimes um, the teams need a little bit of support but it's a collaborative working environment and I I would also say that since we uh, broadcast those conversations Probably doing a lot less moaning than we used to.
0: <laughs> I mean social media was on fire when uh, when that happened people were just like wow this is a this is a level of insight that we're getting now that we we hadn't had before and I think um, you know that's that's communication directly out to the fans but as it relates to your team, tell us a little bit about the different teams that are in your group and and maybe a little bit about their uh, their training regimes, which you're,
1: which you're responsible for. The, the most obvious embodiment of, uh, of the team is the pit crew. I mean, people see that on a, uh, very clearly on a Sunday afternoon, you see the results of all that hard work, see when things go wrong. And that group of 22 people who are involved in a normal pit stop, these guys come from every aspect of the team. Some of them might work in IT, some of them might be a gearbox guy, another one an electronics specialist, obviously the mechanics you would expect. Um, but we have also some people who are really much computer based, but they're doing jobs in the pit crew as well. Um, and for me, this is the fascinating side of the business, you know, um, I've talked about it before, but you know, footballers, various different sports have a lot of team people involved, but. But a pit crew has to have a great day all within the same two second period and these guys are all dealing with different pressures some of them may be relatively new to a pit stop i mean you can imagine uh, the first time you do a pit stop on a car that's leading a race that brings its own pressures and and hopefully you know the training that we've done and the, the way that we communicate to the guys the constant communication through the race enables them to be in a good state of mind when they go into that situation um, because ultimately that's where you just have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, right, I can do this and I'm going to do it.
0: I actually didn't appreciate
1: that they weren't
0: just the mechanic crew um, and the engineer crew there. Uh, and that that's that's blown my mind. So, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be at the factory before uh, before Corona times and see the, one of the practices taking place. And, and you're practicing that every single day, I understand, if you're in the factory.
1: Yeah, it's a balance. Um the, the wheel guns that the guys use, and that you hear very, very loudly over the noise of the engine, they're incredibly powerful. Um, the wheels are quite heavy. Uh, in 2022, they're going to be heavier still, they're a much bigger wheel. Um, so you have to be mindful of injuring people. Um, so there's that balance, you know, and once again, you know, it's communicating with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Um, and that's the bit that's fascinating for me how do you uh, prepare mentally
0: for that I mean it looks and and it is such an intense environment and you just said you know imagine doing your first pit stop but you guys are just there every week every race day with the fastest pit stop I, I mean I can't remember the last race when you guys didn't didn't win it so i can i mean well that's interesting <laughs> then so so that was that was a that was a bruising moment for you to not get like that's the that's the the level of performance that you're striving for that it, it you remember that that race when it didn't didn't come in as the fastest pit done
1: yeah and it is painful um losing anything is painful if you're competitive or in a competitive sport the um I take an enormous amount of pride in, in, in the team and, and, and the attitude they take towards pit stops to deliver, as you say, under this high pressure environment. I mean, people forget it, it's, not, um, it's not about the equipment. It's an entirely human endeavour. It's human performance for me and it's that embodiment of the team. And that's why we take so much pride in it. Nobody wants to let the team down. Um, and we want to represent our team in the best way that we possibly can. You know, we wear the shirt, we have the pride of working for Red Bull, um, and that's an embodiment of it. Just to talk about something that happened
0: last season, uh, which was again about, I think, performance and then moving also into very clear, crisp communication. Uh, And that was Hungary, where Max on the lap to to the grid, Uh, took a spin or went into the barrier. And I mean, it was almost like a beautiful choreographed piece of ballet that went on there (laughs) where the guys all knew their role. You know, we've had obviously a kind of sneak uh, listen to some of the, the audio as well and the communication. At no point there, I mean, they were working hard, working fast, but at no point there did it look panicked or out of control, but that was a situation that they'd never been in before. How did that play out?
1: We were all a little bit shocked and surprised to see what happened uh, on the, on the uh, reconnaissance lap. Um, I've thought about scenarios like that and, and how you would handle them. So there are a couple of basics, you know, that, that I was looking for in that situation. And working with the rest of the team on it, you know, very much want um, to emphasise the fact that this is a massive team effort. That's a result of no one individual had a, any particular role to play in it. Everyone's contribution was vital and, the, and, and therefore you've got a lot of people you've got to communicate with and receive communications from. And that all needs to be clear and unhurried. So, you know, we realised we had a significant, perhaps race threatening uh, incident to deal with. Uh, made very, we didn't have long, I don't know if you know, but where the corner where the driver crashed, there wasn't really long once he got going again to make the decision about whether you brought the car into the garage or whether you sent it to the grid. We very quickly as a team communicated across several intercom channels uh, regarding what we wanted to do. We decided to send the driver to the grid. A lot of people were involved in that chain reaction and getting that clear communication to the driver as well, who was also asking questions at the same time managed to do that and then from that point onwards I mean I, I was oddly calm um, you realise you can you, only, sounded calm. Yeah. you can only control the controllables and, and everyone says it it sounds like a cliche but as we all know it's very true um, so what I wanted to do is just pick up on any breakdown in communication or procedures that we have implemented and agreed and been working on and that's what I did I kind of sat on everyone's shoulder if you like and just try to stay calm, listen to whether communication was um, imperfect or even broken down or, or if I was concerned that there wasn't enough communication. Um, at the same time, you know, you've got um, Helmut Marco, you've got Christian, you know, you've got to keep them informed as well as make sure the supply chain of parts to the grid. If you've done the job well, then the team around you the guy just suddenly thinks, oh, I need this spanner, and actually that spanner arrives over his shoulder.
0: You know, yeah.
1: it's a supply chain issue, and that, that relies on effective communication between the, the grid, the pit wall, and the garage. Um, and that's developed over time, you know. None of that happens just by writing a document. I mean, you, you need to be able to hear what people are saying. I mean, when people are in a high-stress environment, their voice changes. Sometimes that voice change can then cause uh, not a panic, but it, you know, it affects all the people around them. So, I always try to be as calm and level as possible. But you've got to be able to hear what they're saying, and a microphone might have been knocked out of the way. Uh, you can hear a frustration sometimes. So, whilst you'd like to ask a second question, maybe you don't. Um, I'm glad it doesn't happen every weekend but I have to admit in some perverse way I enjoyed it at the time. You, you talk quite philosophically about the
0: the human element of it. Is that something that you've developed over time? Is it just a general fascination for you? Because it's quite a, like you talked about the, the tone or the volume of, of your voice that could cause panic or a sense of no we've got this amongst the team and I guess you don't think of those things and those softer softer measures when you think about a high power sport like Formula One? Is that something you think you bring
1: to it that's quite at, at unique? At one stage in my career, I could, I, I had the opportunity to make the decision as to whether I went technical or operational. So, you know, people or, or performance, or full performance, uh, uh, car technology wise. And um, it was good. I spent a while in management at a level called Chief Mechanic, which is really the day-to-day operation of the garage and all the guys in it and and I sort of thought about it and thought you know it's the people that are the interesting part of this business I'm able and enjoy communicating with you know people who are on the other end of the spectrum in terms of intelligence and uh, inability to communicate that in in a in a constructive way and 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 everyone's wired up differently and you know you talk about the calmness that the tone in your voice the other thing is if somebody who's always calm is suddenly not calm that's quite a powerful uh tool and i use that sometimes you know sometimes you just need to shake the team a little bit get them to focus on a new subject and if you're somebody it's like punctuation use of swearing or just using a swear word every now and then you know if somebody doesn't swear a lot the day they use it you listen it makes everyone look up from the table and and I try to, you know, I try to do that. But the most enjoyable thing about this business for me are the people. You know, different nationalities, different uh, upbringings. Uh, everyone thinks at different rates. Things, Different things are important to different people at different times of their lives. And that's the thing, you know, this is a people business. I'm sat here at the moment uh, in this tremendous facility that we have here at Milton Keynes looking at. All of our cars for the last fifteen years, you know, and it's amazing. And 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 these aren't you know, the the machines that make them are don't even compare to the people that operate those machines. It's such a it's such a
0: true point, and I think, um, and I think what's what's wonderful, particularly about F- Formula One, is you, you get an opportunity to show that it isn't just the driver, because the driver is obviously the. The face of it, and you know, the, the someone performing just at the very kind of edge of their capabilities. But every week, you see that this car does not go around the track if this incredible team of people that come from those different walks of life bring it together. Um, how do you, uh, whether it's a race day or otherwise, manage that correct communication to the correct people? Um, I've listened into some of the audio that goes on, and quite honestly, it took me a few listens to make any sort of sense of it, because you had all of these different people giving coded messages and voices and so forth. It just feels like such an incredible challenge to manage conflicting communication, but also different
1: personalities within that group of people that are all trying to get a job done. You know, you've hit on a very good point there. It's such a broad spectrum of people that think so differently that you have to think of, and I think maybe time, maybe experience, maybe really knowing your people. You know, I tr- it's been a tough few years with COVID and what have you, um, but I try to spend a lot of time talking to the guys. Um, and that helps, I think, in understanding the best way to communicate to people. Um, you know, so if we, if we look at that, race environment is a very dynamic environment and I've spent time over the last few years talking to people in the military and other people who are in high pressure time critical environments and how do you manage people there's a lot of synergies actually between high level military organizations and race teams um, operating in those and all of them communication is crucial now i tend to surround myself with and we tend to employ here very sharp people who are able to um, change direction very quickly. Um, So a very dynamic working environment. Um, So generally your ground work or your your base layer of people is incredibly high level already. Um, And then the communication, this is the most interesting aspect. I mean, I think I have 20 odd intercom channels and radio channels that I'm listening to at any point. Now, it's really not a good idea to do that, um, <laughs> uh, and you couldn't just plonk somebody into that environment and expect them to cope. Uh, you know, you can build up to uh, multi layers of communication, but I don't think it's something you can just see, You'd just be inundated with information if you if you heard all of the stuff that I could listen to. However, people are amazing. That you're a, you're able to block out the information that isn't of interest. And you are able to just listen to something that's happening on the channel. And you think, oh, this is going to be important. That's going to be important. Um, and, you know, I've tried maybe saying, well, I'm not going to listen to this channel anymore or that channel anymore. But I think to have that whole picture of what's going on at an event, you have to just develop these skills. And of course, that's all about hearing them clearly as well. You know, different volumes, different levels of background noise, different levels of stress, people who maybe um, their core skill set isn't clear, effective communication the whole time. So you have to try to understand their message um, and and act on that. And yeah, it's, I keep saying it, but it's all part of the fun of doing it.
0: Do you, do you think the people at the other end of those 20 channels, is it also on them to know the right information to communicate so that they're not bringing erroneous details because they understand and can put themselves into your shoes to really appreciate that you're dealing with all of this information is is it it's two-way right
1: yeah and so uh, clarity of communication effectiveness of communication and also the brevity of messages is vital um, for instance you know I could I could be talking about something rabbit 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 Tom suddenly you're just listening for the first time. You maybe you weren't following what I was talking about before until you hear your name. So a really good way of getting somebody's attention is start by going, Tom, message, you know, and 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 it's coaching. So with the guys, I coach with them, and I can be a bit short in the race, you know. Maybe you've heard the best side of me, but um, I work very much with the guys in 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 them trying to frame a message in the shortest amount of time possible. It doesn't matter. Them. You actually train for that. Yeah, we train. We train for it, and and when we get a new guy on the team, I coach them. I work with them and say, "Look, you've got to get my attention in a short period of time here and get your message across." So, you know, Jonathan, Tom, urgent, right? I'm going to listen to that guy. You know, so if you've got a whole load of messages coming in, you listen to that.
0: You mentioned a little while ago that you're you're sitting there. I'm kind of jealous of your view right now um, because you're outside of that window in that room. There, I, I, I can. Remember where you're sitting, you've got, like you said, that kind of uh, lineup of, of every single one of your your championship cars. And there's a few cars there that that did rather well um, a, f- a few years ago. Uh, and this season's really kind of hotting up and, and it's what everybody wants, dynamic, competitive racing. Uh, how motivating is that to, to remember those those championship victories and... And are you getting excited yet about the potential for this year? Or, or how do you manage that <laughs> expectation?
1: Well, well, this <laughs> is it coming home? Is it coming <laughs> home for Red Bull? <laughs> yeah, good, 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 good question. Um, I think, look, get back to basics for a second. I get, I'm a highly motivated person. I've been very lucky with that. This is my uh, 31st year in competitive Motorsports in Formula One. I pretty much spent my whole life in the business. Um, yeah, and it gets intense. And, the, and this, this, the period that we're talking about now is what you live for. You know, you spend your whole time worrying during it. You can't ever fully enjoy it because um, you're worried about the next thing, the thing, the next thing that could go wrong. Um, you allow yourself a brief period after the race when you've done well to sort of let it wash over you. But then you are straight away focused on the next next goal and um, uh, it's only really at the end of the year you get to look back over the whole thing and try to work out if you enjoyed it or not. When you're talking about the cars here, I think it's really good every now and then I sort of need to get away from my computer, just walk around the campus a little bit, clear my mind and coming over here and just walking around it and thinking each of these cars is almost like a baby to you, you know, You've, you've been through a challenging birth. You've been through an, an extraordinary period until, until it's, it's finished its function for the company. Um, and each one of them brings back memories, challenges that you overcame, um, and challenges you're likely to face again in different ways. Uh, um, and that's the extraordinary thing about, of course, working for a team of this caliber over this period of time, you know, every one of them, even the ones that you want to kick when nobody's looking, <laughs> brought some degree of, of incredible joy at some point. You know, especially if it was a victory out of the blue. You know, so uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's great to come over here and, and 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 reset sometimes.
0: Obviously, there's going to be some big changes which were delayed by a year because of everything that's gone on in the last nearly 18 months. Uh, you guys in parallel are still developing this year's car or fully focused on the 2022 car with all the new changes to the regulations and and for the people watching basically the look the look of the car?
1: Yeah, I think if, if we take an overview on where we are in 2021, moving into 2022, I think certainly I'm probably the busiest that I've ever been in my professional career. We have, on the one hand, we're trying to win the championship this year. We try every year, but we're trying especially hard this year to win the championship. So there's that. We have the ongoing uh, battle with COVID that at any point could take away serious people with a seriously talented people within the team. So we're fighting that. We're a big organization and the FIA cost cap is having an effect on what we're doing. You mentioned we're then going to go into 2022 and those regulations are still as we sit here today, a little immature, the sporting regulations, because we did kick that can down the road at the beginning of 2019. For those of you that don't know, we were supposed to be operating to an entirely new set of sporting regulations and technical regulations this year, but we effectively rolled over the ones from 2020 because we had too many challenges on in the, in, in the sport. And uh, yeah, part of uh, part of my Uh, Capacity is taken up on trying to make sure the team's in the best shape for 2022 uh, and that we can support the technical guys with the right crew of people and and the right operating philosophy going into that that season. I mean, Formula One
0: really was uh, a kind of beacon of how to pivot your talent's capabilities within the team when we all went into lockdown last year. Um, and then, also, when you return to racing you, it was a beacon for how to bring back the pinnacle of sport in a way that can be controlled with all of the the issues around bubbles and and so forth for f- from a from a covid perspective i mean it 's adaptable isn 't it in terms of support um, in terms of the the people within the team and their ability to to really flex and uh, adapt to situations that wouldn't have ever been foreseen as you rolled into the start of
1: last year. I'm surrounded by, not by accident, I'm surrounded by some very talented people and I'm an absolute believer in the team philosophy. And that extends to the FIA as well. So we would normally have, let's say, four or five sporting meetings with the FIA a year. I think we'd had 12 before we got to the first race with COVID. We worked incredibly hard with the FIA and with all the other teams and the promoter and Formula One in general to try to implement a set of safety regulations, COVID-related safety regulations that would allow us, well, the perception of Formula One had to be at the very highest level that we were a clinically precise sport and we were taking no risk when it came to safety. So that therefore opens up countries' abilities to let you in because they go well. Look at these guys, you know. Look at their procedures. Look at their operating. Look, look at their testing regime with for uh, PCR testing. You know, these guys are taking it seriously, and that that makes it a lot easier for com- uh, countries to let let people into their borders, across their borders. You know, let them into their country. So, on the one hand, we're working with the FIA, and on the other hand, we had working groups here in the business that um, I mean, I was fan- it was fantastic to be a part of the creativity, the coming up with solutions for one-way systems in the factory, you know, how we as a company don't lose that essential Red Bull spirit. You know, we still have that despite the fact that everyone's got to wear a mask all day long, that there's constant wash, yeah. you know, the cleanliness and the clinical management that's required. And uh, yeah, it was a challenging period. I think we did a great job. I think, you know, here is a team at the factory with spanning very, you know, various departments. Everyone took it very seriously and worked well together. I mean, nobody enjoys, nearly everyone listening to this (laughs) will have had to wear a mask for a lot longer than they wanted to at certain periods. But we all understand that that's essential, what we have to do, and and the team's been very good about it.
0: Jonathan, we'll we'll finish up with this one. I think, um for the rest of this season as you kind of go into it what are the what are the um how do you chunk up the rest of the season into short medium and, and longer term goals obviously the longer term goal is to win the championship but how do you just keep that momentum rolling is it simply about the performance of the car or uh it, do you, do you put it into some categories and and chunk it up so that these smaller goals are achievable and that aggregates up to the success of winning the championship.
1: I keep my eye on the prize, which is the long-term goal, but you get knocks along the way and I'm fully expecting those knocks to, to sometimes feel like a body blow, um, but you just have to stay focused on the future. Um, there are people in the team that you just want focused in the here and now, and it's having that level of, um, level of uh, sort of thought process all the way through the business. Um, with the guys it's very much you know play play you know just just do the very best you can every single time that you every day you go into work just do the best you can and we'll be thinking about the long-term strategic planning you know um, it's it's great you you're there at a race weekend you're immersed in it but at the same time part of you is thinking about the long-term goals and i think what we've been telling the team and the you can only do what you can do. You just got to do the very best that you can do as a person in that team. If you, I always say, if something just doesn't feel right in Formula One, it's not right. You know, if you're doing up a nut and bolt at that very basic level, if it just doesn't feel right, flag it up, you know, point out every single thing that could be an obstacle in our challenge or a potential concern. You know, because collectively, you're a stronger organisation, making that decision on your own. You don't have to. There's a lot of people around to help support you. And I think that's it. You know, just rely on the team uh, methodology. Rely on being a team, part of a team. And don't ever feel at any point that you have to stand there above everyone making all the decisions. You know, most of the time it can be a collective effort.
0: Jonathan, thanks so much for taking your time um, right in amongst the busy schedule. We really appreciate it a lot of great messages that I think people, individuals and companies can learn from, from you and from Red Bull and from
1: Formula One in general. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. It's been very nice to be part of it. Don't do these things very often. It's nice to hear somebody really clearly for the first time.